This is our annual Caitlin's Not Here episode. My name is John, and filling in, surprise, is my sister. Hi. <laughs> Introduce River Vixen. <laughs> I'm Beth Patton, sister of the podcast. Yeah, you took out some time from your busy schedule of picketing outside studios, and in great Riverdale fashion, we had a whole adventure off screen with Stephen that does end with... <laughs> People being extremely tired on a Sunday Mother's Day episode. Yes. Off screen, there were many things. There was, you know, much like a, a quarantine in Riverdale. Mm-hmm. A lot of things happened, but right. they're over now. <laughs> here I am. People are going to talk about them and it's all going to wash over you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And here we are. This is chapter 124, Dirty Dancing. And named after, I believe, Don't Put Baby in a Corner. Is that the name of the movie? <laughs> That's the name of the movie. No, Dirty Dancing <laughs> is the movie about the, uh, it's like at the summer camp. and. Have you ever seen this movie? I have seen, it's like a perennial of like AMC or A&E. Like it was on TV a lot and I've seen bits and pieces and mom would always be like, this is the part where he says, don't put baby in a corner. And we'd watch the final dance from yes. Dirty Dancing many times. Yeah. So it's not actually a summer camp. It's sort of... Um, it's like a ca- like, camp of the Catskills. Yeah. It, there, Like there was a whole uh, like communities of people usually from like the cities or like new york would go out into like sort of appalachian mountains and there would be camps and yeah and cottages and like that sort of thing like little communities this is like the exact point in the marvelous mrs Maisel where i fell off she was on a trip to the catskills and met zachary levi yes exactly so it's it's the catskills and She's there with her family, mm-hmm. and she's just, like, coming of age, right. and then there's Hot Patrick Swayze there. He's right there. And he's, he, she asks him to give her dance lessons, mm-hmm. and it blooms, oh, she asks. Okay. blooms into romance. I believe she asks. Um, right, but, but Dad doesn't like Patrick Swayze. No, because he works there. Because he, he's so, a So, like, it's a class right. thing. Ah, it's, it's a class, a class thing. thing. Okay. She's the Veronica Lodge. <laughs> And Patrick Swayze is he's a hot Archie. dumb lamb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's I don't know. Then he they do a bunch of dancing, um, much like this episode of Riverdale, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's like was that the a plot of this episode of Riverdale? Who's to say? Uh, I think Archie and Kevin's stuff was bigger, but didn't get the title treatment. You know? Yeah, I I agree with that. I think. Like, it, the the big set piece was the dancing, but, like, it's not like we learned anything about that world, how it worked, no. why it was happening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, and you're going to come on Hal's TV show. And I'm like, Hal is a TV show? First time hearing of this. News. News to <laughs> all for, of us. Good for him. Yep. This episode was written by Aaron Allen. He's actually been writing on the show since season one. He's a co-executive producer right now, and last season he wrote the episodes uh, Ex Libris and Night of the Comet. Is that the one with the comet? That is the one with the comet, <laughs> yes. Ex Libris is, I think, the one where he bans libraries or something like that. They banned libraries? <laughs> He's like anti-books, right? There's like a whole book thing. Who was anti-books? Was Percival, 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 yeah. He hates books? Yeah, it was... <laughs> is this because Heather was a librarian? I... <laughs> Did we need like Did an antagonist? Did he meet Heather? <laughs> I don't know. 
I feel like the people who've been writing since season one might be the only people more tired than you of Riverdale. <laughs> I should, yeah, I would love to find Aaron somewhere and be like, how are you doing? I'll, I'll look on the picket line. Yeah, I'll right? be like, did you work on Riverdale? Are you okay? <laughs> would you like to speak about your experience? <laughs> I'll be like, contractually, no. Are you no. comfortable with, yeah. yeah. Uh, this episode is directed by Jesse Warren, who... This is her first Riverdale episode directed since episode 105, Heart of Darkness. So, season one. Uh, In the meantime, they've done some episodes of Titans and The Flash. I think Legends of Tomorrow, even? Yeah, it's a familiar name. Or Supergirl, yeah. Familiar name. So, this episode is broken into four main storylines. We have Heartbreak Feels Good in a Place Like This. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Mm -hmm. We have Riverdale Grandstand. Mm Mm-hmm. We have a classic Kevin trauma mess around. Yeah. And uh, Jones v. Board of Education. It's good. I, I also think you could have called American Bandstand, uh, like, something about, like, a shot up the skirt. I admit I struggled on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Where would you like to go first? Oh, man. Um, I guess let's start with Jughead. Because okay. I think that this is dumb. Wait, I mean, I mean, good. What? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Jughead. The patriarchy is upset with Jughead for writing comic books, and they bring him in Mm -hmm. to the office, and they call the content of his comic pornographic, which is uh, pretty. I think more meant to mirror what the right is doing now. Well, it's against also, like trans and things they don't like, but or it's maybe it's always like been. I mean, you know what the Hayes Code is? Yeah, yeah, like that impacted comics mm-hmm. in a big way, and like I mean, but what's interesting is like pornographic, like today, it's just used to mean things I don't like, right? You know? Yeah, and I guess it helps that there's that like Supreme Court quote that like pornography's definition is I, kind of malleable. I know it when I see right. it, right? So like mm-hmm. you can also. Everyone can have a different opinion of what it looks like when they see it. Right. So horror comic books equate to pornography. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what if they're not well written? <laughs> hold on. <laughs> uh, so the patriarchy threatens to expel Jughead unless he signs an agreement stating he'll never write horror again. And he does not sign that. It doesn't seem like a thing you could enforce. It, it is like a... Like a more morality thing of yeah. just like, you're going to be good, sign this. I guess it's like it, they see his name on a comic, they could see. But like, even right. then, it's like, how does that work? <laughs> Where would they have any legal yeah. justification to enforce also, this? Also, you should be proud that any student of yours has a job that pays him. That's the goal, like, right? I That's like what that, you're an educator yeah. for? <laughs> Brad, Brad Raybury. You know, he wanted out of Jughead's life, but he has to just walk into Pep Comics for a check, and he's like, midday. Jughead won't be there. That kid's in school. Jughead's there. It's like, damn. Okay, okay. Well, I don't want to care about you. And then Jughead looks hungry, and he's like, all right, fine. Let's go out for lunch. He really needed those $2, and then he spent them on Jughead. (laughs) It was, oh, right. I forgot. They're paying him him $2. Two bucks per, and he's like, I need my check. Yeah. They're not. No, no, he him. was he was like, I got a check. I oh, need it in cash. I need it in cash. Because I don't trust banks. Right. <laughs> it was like right, incredible. Right. So he got all sixteen bucks from all of his comic. Yeah, and books. then he used it to feed Jughead. <laughs> Although Jughead. granted that was probably like part yeah, of a dollar. Two bucks. 
I don't know. Part of me thinks it's funny that, like, they just, you know, clearly want to keep him in play. I think they're really delighted with, like, Brad Rayberry as a name. They're they're um, proud. They're so they're super proud and of all the things they're doing I guess they wanted to uh, give Jughead a new dad. Yes. They basically, Jughead wants a new dad, yeah. and he wants it to be Brad. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, because it rhymes. But it also, off the sort of combustible last episode, I was like, ah, Jughead enters into a new abusive relationship. <laughs> Where this guy will sometimes co op yeah. him. Yeah. Brad sure, do, sure does like pretending he doesn't want to be caught, uh, Jughead's friend and then me going, I'm just kidding. We're going to be good friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jughead apologizes again for reading Brad's box book. Brad admits he maybe overreacted. I honestly can't say <laughs> from the outside this conversation. But he does offer to help with the patriarchy by suggesting Jughead write under a pseudonym. But they don't say what the pseudonym is. No, I think they were like, mm, let's wait till next episode. That's to the decide. next guy's problem. Or they'll never decide because they were just like, we can't find better wordplay for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what would have been funny? Because what I noticed was when they put the signature thing in front of Jughead, you know, it says in print underneath his name, but it doesn't say uh, Forsyth Pendleton Jones 3. It says Jughead Jones. Mm-hmm. They're expecting him to sign the name Jughead Jones. What if they don't know? Jughead's real name, and he could just co- write public Forsyth? comments as Forsyth Pendleton Jones the Third. I mean, I imagine they have some paperwork somewhere that has his full name on it. Mm. I don't know. Do you know that when you join the Writers Guild, I am a member of the Writers Guild. We are currently on strike. Uh, support uh, the WGA. Yeah. So when you join the Writers Guild, you can register a pseudonym. Really? Yeah. It's it's something, and you can Did do you it think at about any time. It? I I mean, I did. I didn't have any pressing need for it, but I know people who have a pseudonym, and when they wrote things that they were not proud of for money, they would use the pseudonym. So I guess the question And by is, that I mean, think of like like Anaconda 6 for sci-fi, like an original right, sci-fi right, right, movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. And you're like, do I want my name on that? Perhaps not. So do people have to have, like, is it like the SAG where you can't share the same pseudonym either? Like your pseudonym has to be one that nobody else has? No, I think that there's there's even like a really famous pseudonym that multiple people have used. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to remember what it is right now, but I, I kind of remember that being true. Mm-hmm. That like you can kind of abdicate like who wrote this if you put like this particular pseudonym That's on really it. funny. Yeah. Well, Brad Ravery, uh, which will be my pseudonym now. It's yeah, Brad obviously. Ravery. He suggests that Jughead also pretend he's writing like a happy animal comic. So that he can be like, I'm writing comics, but I'm not writing horror comics. And Jughead thinks of Super Duck on the spot, which is, I presume, a duck with superpowers. Gotta be. But now he's got to write that too, right? I guess. Like, he does have to write two comic books now. I, and that seems to be what is implied by the final shot, that mm-hmm. he is now writing two comic right. books. Whereas I was like, you could just be like, man, nobody liked my Super Duck story, so I just never got published again. <laughs> I don't know. I also looked at Super Duck and it made me think of Howard the Duck, who is not like family friendly right. NPC. <clears throat> right. So I was just like, what is what is this? Tr- is it like Mighty Mouse? Everyone loves Milkshake Duck, the duck that drinks milkshakes. <laughs> Do you think it's like Mighty Mouse? Like, is it like? Do you think it's, it's a probably? One-to-one? I feel like it would be closer to a Mighty Mouse because maybe it like has something to do with your Donald Duck being, uh, you know, Mickey's friend. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, duck to mouse, maybe. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, or we're just like talking animal comics, just the rage back then, like the westerns or... 
I don't know. I mean, we're in a moment where Guardians of the Galaxy 3 came out and everyone loves the talking raccoon. So, I, you know, it never goes out of style. I saw, I don't know where I saw this. Uh, PETA said that it was like one of their favorite movies of all time. It's because it's like, the most nailed it. animal, te- <laughs> like you, you cannot watch that movie and come out of it and right. be like, oh, and I'm just morally opposed to animal testing for the rest of my life because yeah. I'm scarred. Mm-hmm. Not as scarred as the high evolutionary though. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a joke for you yes so brad tells the patriarchy that he is jughead's mentor and that he will threaten them with legal action at the supreme court level mm. if they go forward with equating horror books with pornography yeah i don't really yeah i got no comment on that is that could that happen who's to say i mean it could happen it sounds like it would be time consuming and expensive which is what i think the threat is right I guess he's, like, just well-established enough that they could maybe believe it. Right, but it it seems like with every episode he's in the show, his home moves closer to town. Yes. Well, yeah, much like Stonewall Prep, he's now in town. Maybe, Riverdale, the plot of the season is that it has become a black hole for time and space, and everything is just collapsing into it. We did that in the third season of Umbrella Academy. They should do that. <laughs> yeah, the, what, what would they call that thing? The Kugel Blitz. Yeah, there's a Kugel Blitz underneath Pops, and something needs to be done about it. Absolutely. That's what the dark room is. This is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Sparrows is just like one extra Tabitha who left town. I saw for a minute in the bandstand plotline, there was a girl dancing next to Betty who looked just like Tabitha. Yeah, and I was like, there was Tabitha? Like similar hair. And then it was not her. No. Uh, and I was disappointed. Jughead asks Brad to be his new dad. Yep. And uh, Brad Brad tells him that he's also thinking about rereading his box novel. Jughead is so excited for his new mentor, though, and nothing could ruin that. Not even uh, that the murderous milkman is real. But is he? It's like a milkman shows up to Brad's door and he's like, sorry, I'm late. And he's like, really creepy. <laughs> but he doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's the world's creepiest milkman. But like, it's also like, I just, I really did think... When we got back to the murder plot, it would be someone we knew instead of like a random stranger. And, is, is but also like, not a mass random stranger. No. He's just out here being like, this is how I do and it. He, and he also doesn't look like the milkman from the comic cover either. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like that. No, he just looks like a guy with like a thin mustache who's creepy. Did he have a mustache? I thought he was oh, clean shaven. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe I just think he has a mustache. He um, should. That would be better. Everyone should. Yeah. And then like... There's also the question of, like, why would he target both Ethel's parents and... If this is the killer, right? And he's not just, like, in the next episode we pick up with Brad Rayberry drinking a glass of milk. Which would be awesome, Hilarious. by the way. Uh, You're right. It's like, what what would right. what is the, the logic of, all right, I'm going to kill this teenage girl's abusive parents. And then I'm going to disappear for a little bit. And then I'm going to kill... Modest, you know, famous, modestly famous novelist Brad Raber. Yeah, I mean, if there was something along the lines of like, I, you know, my manifesto is I'm getting rid of corruption or something, like an extension of the patriarchy, right? Right. Then you'd be like, okay, I get why he's going after Brad Rayberry, mm-hmm. but like, it felt like Ethel's parents were really like hardline on some of the same things, and right. Ethel herself was like into comics and she had no prior run-ins with the patriarchy until after that happened. i don't think she did yeah. yeah so but like i it is an interesting idea because like if it if it had not been a stranger 
if the door had opened up and had been one of the two patriarchy guys we knew in a milkman costume, that would have changed the whole game, right? Yeah. That would have been like, these guys are out here killing anyone they can't control. Well, I mean, it still could get to the place where it's like, oh, they control the milkman guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he is an extension of them. This stranger who may or may not have a mustache. It's one of those things where it's like, ooh, this crazy cliffhanger that leaves you going, okay, what? Well, and it's, it's almost like the choice to show him is interesting because you could have shot that whole scene where like, you see him open the door and he reacts to someone. You could shoot it from an angle where you catch like the milk in the hand, but not the face. Yeah. Right? They did a lot of that kind of stuff with Black Hood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that they put a face on it. Yeah. A face we don't know. It's like a full body, three quarter shot. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like, oh, the uh, tr- the trash man, the gar- uh, garbage killer. TPK. Trash bag killer. Trash bag killer. TPK. Maybe it's TPK. Uh, and he's just felt back You're in time with the rest milk. of us. <laughs> no. Calcium. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Did you ever watch Misfits? Yes. Do you remember the guy who killed people with milk? No. Okay, I forget what season it is, but basically... Is it they... after What's-His-Name leaves the show? No, he's still in it. Okay. So, uh... What's his name was Robert Sheehan. That's right. Uh, We knew. (laughs) We knew. But yeah, they had a villain who was like a kid that was picked on and then he got his superpower and it was the ability to control milk and then he got picked on even more. And then he realized what he could do with the ability to control milk. And basically anybody who'd eaten dairy, he could just kill them. And it was like horrifying. Oh, I do kind of remember this, yeah. <laughs> it was like really upsetting where he was that like, You had yogurt wild. yesterday and he would like kill you. It's like kind of similar to the the setup of like static shock from the show with oh, the yeah. bang babies, where it's just like one day in a low income neighborhood of of London, a bunch of people just get powers. Yeah. Flash just isn't too far off either. They like their oh, original kind of Incident. Mm-hmm. Wait, how do you think Brad Rayberry feels about being Jughead's new dad? He seems he seems open to it. He seems open but apprehensive. Right. He it's more like a it's it seems like it's coming more from a savior complex place of like this kid doesn't have a dad, mm-hmm. doesn't have a meal, and lives in a train car. I feel like something must be done. There's like a two thirds chance he ends up either in jail or Toledo. Or like jumping out of a window. Like things don't end well for mentor adults mm. in this town. It would be cool if like FP comes back at one point and like looks like, at Brad and like calls him a nerd. You're not you're not his real dad. I'm his real dad. I'm his daddy. Where you wanna we, who do you wanna go with? Kevin, Veronica, um, Betty. I kinda wanna save Kevin for last. Okay. So you wanna do Betty or Veronica next? Let's do Veronica. Okay. Come to this place for magic. Yes. Alice calls Hollywood, California to tell on Veronica to Hermione because Veronica gave Betty lingerie i feel like the biggest hurdle there would be being able to phone hollywood stars you don't know no- this person yeah as a random human you have never met hermione but she gets to her and so when we catch him on veronica she's sunbathing inside and inside the budget when uh, mm-hmm. smithers reads her a telegram from her parents you really which they so, call they call her all the time yeah. side note i don't think that house has ever looked better 
Like, yeah. it, it, like cause the they redesign the, they did. The hopper in the background, the like hot, the the light, the yeah, sun yeah, lamp, yeah. the the plants in the background. Then there's like a plant throw that was like on the. I was like, this looks great. This looks like a photo shoot. I love it. (laughs) Veronica has been cut off from her allowance and must report for work at the Baby Lion movie theater. It's not a a casino anymore, but we kept it anyway. (laughs) Even though Veronica builds it in the future. It's not a casino yet. It still could be. (laughs) So Veronica enters the newish set. To meet Mr. Lemley, who I believe is named after a local theater chain. Yes, there's a a local independent theater chain in Los Angeles called the Lemley. Veronica and the owner and our friendly character, Clay, who likes to be in episodes sometimes, uh, they make up the entire staff. Yeah. Veronica finally turns around and is like, Clay, you're a character, right? What is your thing? And uh, he says he wants to be a filmmaker, like Mm -hmm. one of the great black directors of that time. Veronica says she's more of a producer than an actress. I think she's saying, like, in this iteration, she doesn't like being on camera that much. But then she immediately does put herself on camera. Yeah, but I think that's more strategic. Like, I'm I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt on this. Because I do feel like as a character, even, like, in the previous seasons, like, she's always been willing to use her name and her fame, and her beauty, and, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, she's also never pursued anything along the lines of, like, fashion, or modeling, True. or acting, or, like, what... You know, she's not looking for that kind of spotlight. True. But she's willing to utilize what she's got. So that, I don't know, kind of made sense to me. The black director that they mentioned, and I, I didn't write down the name, so I'm yeah, kind of like... But I thought it was interesting that he specifically... This is, like, when Riverdale's, like, we have a message... Right? And they specifically said he was making films at the same time as D.W. Griffith. Mm-hmm. You remember who D.W. Griffith is? I, I Birth of a Nation. Oh. So D.W. Griffith is like <sighs> yeah. kind of known for almost like pioneering the feature length film in and a lot of ways in this racist blackface film about essentially like lynching black men who attack white women. Right. And, and it's a like hero film for the Klan. And what this what Riverdale is trying to teach us today is he's not the only person who was working. He's not the only person who's pioneering, but yeah. the black voices got silenced. It's kind of on another podcast I listened to, Blank Check, mm-hmm. they are covering Buster Keaton films. Oh yeah. And so they're they're talking a lot about that kind of era. And apparently even when Birth of a Nation came out, most of the audience was like, Hey, that's super racist. So, like, it's not like it came out and everyone was like, this is great, but it did feel like white supremacists managed to kind of force this down film history's throat as, like, a foundational text. And now every film professor has to talk about this incredibly racist movie. Yeah, I had to watch it. I never watched it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, like, part of film education, and it's it, there's really no reason that it should be. Mr. Lumley complains to the kids that TV has ruined movie theaters, which I love TV. Mm-hmm. And movies. Was there really a time where just like, because TVs were getting into people's houses and no one went to movies anymore? Uh, time is continuous. Like, it's always, it's happening now. Oh, well, yeah, but now they'll put a movie onto my screen at home two weeks after it's in a movie mm-hmm. theater. I think it did have an impact, but I think that the, the major impact has been ongoing. Veronica has an idea. A commercial on TV starring Veronica. And then... This was on Twitter a few months ago. They do the Nicole Kidman AMC ad with starring Veronica. 
You come to this place for magic. <laughs> if anyone in the audience hasn't seen, it's like one of the strangest communal things I, I experience now at movie theaters is like everyone, if this ad comes out, she's resplendent in like a blazer a, of a, crystal. Yeah, a, a sequin striped pantsuit. She's walking through the nicest AMC in existence alone. Nobody else is there. No, because it's a pandemic. And she's talking about how we come to this place for magic and, and laughs. To and... feel things. But the movies that they show her watching are hilarious. Because it's, it's all it's like La Jurassic La World, it's Creed, Creed, and Wonder Woman. <laughs> and you're like, I'm pretty sure Nicole Kidman isn't coming here I to watch she's Creed. seen any of those movies. Yeah. And it's so earnest that... At first, the audience was just kind of like, okay. And then people start, kind of started getting into it. And then people kind of started started getting over it. And then people started getting even more into it than before. Yeah. And now people cheer when it comes on before the movie starts. Yeah, it's like the irony to sincerity cycle. Right? Yeah. Like, it's like, I like this ironically, but then the most ironic thing of all would be to be sincere about how much I like yeah. it. And that just like eat the snake eating its own tail until finally you reach like peak, like we've just accepted this is how it is. Right. right. Yeah. Which is sort of like a similar path for something like like Gritty, my favorite hockey mascot. I love right? Him. The yes. immediate reaction was this is dumb and horrible. But then Once when people started, started making it. fun of it, it was like, I like this ironically. And then it became, I like this sincerely. Right. And every, every, every person in Philadelphia said, hey, he's one of ours. Yeah, Nicole Kidman <laughs> is one of ours. Lemley won't run the ad because he says now that he's selling the entire business. She, Seems short-sighted she to made give her this, a job. Right, she, and also to fund a commercial, she made the commercial... When he told her, we're just slow on business. And it seems like between now and then, maybe, this has happened. And he is selling it to Veronica's parents. And that's how he knows them. So they did tell Veronica to start working at a movie theater they were going to buy. And according to Mr. Lemley, turn into a parking garage. I have so many questions. Like, okay... A, the timeline is bizarre. Like, get a job at this theater that we're immediately going to buy and demolish. Yes. Makes no sense in terms of teaching our level about responsibility. Right. Two, making a commercial, Clay would have had to buy film. It's like a film camera. So film, and then develop it, and then edit it. He'd need access to a lot of equipment. Oh, you're right. And a money. Whole lab. And time. Because those things, like, are an instant, You're right? right, you're right. So, A, like, there's plenty of time to tell them, like, maybe not, don't do the this. The shooting of this commercial could be complicated enough to be its own episode of television. Yeah, and it, it's, like, not insane, but then when you start to go, like, well, what would they have had access to? Like, it starts to become more insane. Yeah. So, but, like, he had a projector. Like, really, he has a projector, he has scissors, he has the ability to splice. So let's say he's doing this by hand, he's working with film, and then, like, they can get it copied or whatnot. Those are even just the beginning questions, because the more serious question is, why would two Hollywood stars who are overseas hanging out with Orson Welles <laughs> buy a movie theater in the town of Riverdale and then turn it into a parking lot? What? <laughs> why? What scheme is this? What scheme is this? Also, like, if you're a Hollywood movie star and you're buying a movie theater, that's the best way to drum up business for a movie theater... How also, are they going to profit look. off of a parking lot? Well, I don't understand. You're, 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 you're free. The parking lot is phase one. <laughs> okay. People need to park 
for the theme park we build. Hiram <laughs> Land strikes Hiram back. Land is back. It's canon, baby. It's back, baby. <laughs> I, it's it's also the the fact that it's all hearsay. Veronica never once tries to call her parents and confirm no. that any of this is happening. It's all done by telegrams read by Smithers. <laughs> Instead, she she just finds herself staring at a painting her in her apartment. Like the writer just was like, "How would she have money?" This thing. Next thing you know, she's gonna trade and barter with this guy. Be like, "I'm gonna give you this painting, and you're gonna give me the this building," and. This painting is probably worth more than what my parents are offering you. I haven't confirmed. I don't talk to them. No, she said she 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 talked to an auction house. Oh, okay. So no, like, she knows it's valuable. She does not know what her parents are offering. Right, right. I also just want to shout out the moment where Smithers like reads the telegram to her, and then uh, she's like, "What? They want me to get an after school job? Like this is child abuse." And then he just gives her this look as like somebody who has been clearly working his entire life. And she gives a little reaction where she's like, oops, I put my foot in my mouth. It's like a great, tiny, self-aware moment. It's great. Veronica's close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She tells Werther's to send a telegram to her parents saying that she's bought the baby lion. Is it Werther's? Sorry, Smithers. (laughs) Did you just name after the old man? Werther's, Werther's is the principal. I was going to say Werther's original. Yeah. Which is what Smithers has in his pockets. <laughs> yeah, he is their full <laughs> Overflowing. Uh, she'll never let that baby lion be a parking lot. No. No. It's not like she could have had one conversation with her parents and instead of selling their hopper. Mm-mm. Which she was also like, this is from my personal collection. It's like, no, no. That is from your parents collection. You are 17. You, right. you don't own anything. You do not own Unless this Unless she's suggesting with that allowance they used to give her, she bought a, an original hopper. I mean, that's quite an allowance. Yeah. Okay, so that leaves us with Betty. How Cooper murdered the vibe. Uh, Alice calls Penelope, who they tell us is her friend, and tells her everything? What? Is Alice so lonely? Well, Penelope tells everybody else everything, so now everybody knows. They really missed an opportunity to do, like, phone call split screen. Yes. You know, like, very, um... Uh, I mean, there's a million examples of this, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking of Bye Bye Birdie specifically, mm. which had a, a whole song of split screen telephones where they were like, oh, these wow. people are dating. Yeah. Do you know that? Like, what's the story Morning Glory? What's the word hummingbird? It's, it's, a, <sighs> it's anyway. Been a it's been a minute. Feel appropriate to this time, mm-hmm. but it's literally just like all the girls in the town calling each other to tell, to be like, oh my God, these two people are dating. Yeah. Yeah. That is where we're at, but in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice's new rule for Betty is that she has to, every day after school, come on Dad's dance show, Riverdale Grandstand. We all know how Dad has a dance show in yeah, town. Yeah, obviously. Uh, so Riverdale Grandstand is based off of uh, these American Grandstand shows, which really existed, which would apparently be like well, ban- local. Yeah, American Bandstand was the big like, national one. Right. Um, but that was filmed in... Philadelphia, and that's and then what was broad- largely based off. Yeah, of? and then was like broadcast um, further. Actually, hairspray is based on. There were just smaller local affiliates that mm-hmm. would have like local kits. So like right. when you hairspray is like 
the local Baltimore teens. Yeah. And is watched by the local Baltimore teens. Right. So it would essentially be what you were saying is like it's one of the few places a teenager could see their themselves on TV at that time and people would advertise during it and mm-hmm. teens would dance on it. And yeah, and the big one, like American Bandstand, like big acts would come on it. Like like, mm-hmm. you know, Beatles level acts would That's come on it. Big. And like it was a big um, you know, almost like SNL or something where you would get to see live music. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Jacob, sent us uh, some video of like what that would actually look like to watch. And those kids are not camera trained. They're not like playing to the camera or anything. It's just kind of teens awkwardly dancing around within the shot. Yeah, it's, I mean, I recommend anybody to go watch some of these shots because it's fascinating. But mm-hmm. like, it's really poorly shot. Yeah. It's hard to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like the, suits the don't dances, fit, you know? the suits don't fit. Like they're just sort of awkward teens. And it's like, no, like maybe there is like, oh, somebody practiced and did some sort of show shopper dance every now and then, but really mostly is a big packed dance floor where like sometimes you just see people like hanging around in the background, not right. dancing, or people just breaking things off, or just Which like the dance is like kind of awkward. More like the kinds of content kids watch now where they'll like live stream someone just like hanging out and like doing. Yeah, Whatever. I, like, immediately thought of the fact that we watch things like unboxing videos. Yeah. Or even just, like, TikTok dances. I was like, yeah, this is kind of, like, right. kids would come home from school there's, and there's they'd an watch. an attention span thing. They'd but... watch dancing on TV, and now kids come home from school and they watch dancing on TikTok. <laughs> and it's just at a very different speed and a better image quality. Right. They come home from school and watch it. They watch it at school. They're on the bus. They're in the sure. bed. Sure. So Betty walks into class, and everyone goes silent, and they're all watching her. Mm-hmm. And Julian whistles at her. Uh, Archie walks in and all the boys applaud. But he does look incredibly uncomfortable because yeah. he's perfect. I kind of thought they missed an opportunity to do like a Betty and Archie look at each other sort of. There's a bit where they they both miss each other and like Julian's yeah. sitting between them. Which I'm like, okay. I'll have to watch it Julian, why, why are you? I also, had to grab that seat. I also noticed that um, like right at the top of the scene, there's a little moment where like Cheryl is doodling in the margins of Julian's notebook. Hmm. And I was like, oh, they're trying to make it seem like they're siblings. Yeah, You know, I like like, like, like yeah. Madeline made a choice or somebody made a choice where it was like, yes, they know each other. Right. Not like, as opposed to, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about the Julian thing and how, uh, you know, since this whole season seems to be about uh, sexy teens and gay teens, um, like just, it, it's very clear he would not be a supportive brother. No. But, like, the way she talked about Jason Blossom was, like, he was the most supportive brother. Right. And so I just the back of my head, I'm like, the supportive brother's still dead. <laughs> it's just all... The wrong kid died. The wrong one died. <laughs> Cheryl is the lead dancer of Riddle Grandstand because her family is the main investor. It's not super important, but there is a whole scene dedicated to it where she hands Betty a list of rules that we don't really see. But I would assume one of those rules is uh, no upskirts. Instead, they just said, don't touch each other's groins. Don't touch each other's groins. <laughs> so the, the dance goes off, uh, and Betty's just kind of swaying when Cheryl checks in on her, uh, who suggests what? she dance with Dilton, because he hasn't had a partner since yeah. Ethel was sent to the nuns. And Betty's like, why is everyone trying to talk about Ethel all the time? Why was Ethel <laughs> on the dance show? It seems so diametrically opposed to her interests. Everyone always talks about Ethel doing things. No one talks yeah. to Ethel. Yeah. Also, Lily gives great bored face. 
She's so disinterested in being there, and it comes very clearly. This is just such a weird episode for the Blossoms, because they are mostly just, like, background characters in it. And comedy characters. Which is, it's like, this is what it's like to view them from the outside. Definitely. So it's just like, this family of redheads comes on the show, and they're like, buy our maple syrup. But it's not just for breakfast anymore. You can put it on ice cream. And I was like, it fortifies me through my day. <laughs> but it really, like, you get it. Like, that is an advertising family. Yeah. Like, you, they all have the red hair. They look a certain way. You Like, you would want to put that family on camera. Totally. What was it? The, the thing I... Uh, this is not really here nor there, but the thing I was learning about Buster Keaton was that his family was like a vaudeville act thing. So like he started day one, like he was born into it. And that was back in a time in the eighteen in late eighteen hundreds where you as an entertainment troupe you'd like go around with like medical products to be like advertised and be like, and we have dancers and stuff. And like people would come to watch the acts and then be like sold crackpot cures for things. It's, it's not that different. Every, it's it's always been advertising. Well, I mean, that also is like the present day where like you follow an Instagram model and then they try and sell you like a <laughs> um, tea that's a no. diuretic. Yes, though. Yes. Okay. Do you, have you watched any of the new season of the other two? No. Ken Marino uh, uh, is now, all, it shows up in the first episode of the new season and says that he's been, he's now managing the Barbacado family. Which is a family on TikTok where they just dance and the little the little baby's cute in the front, people dance in the background. And then I'm hearing about these vaudeville acts, I'm like, oh my god, we've just gone full circle. It's one hundred percent Yeah. Influencer culture is just being a carnival act. Yeah, basically. Well, I mean and that's like reality TV plus I mean it's interesting because I think that what we're chasing is authenticity. Right. Right? Which is kind of different than chasing like vaudeville. Yeah. But well, now we're doing it in people's homes, right? Well, that's the thing. So if you want to track, like there's a moment where reality TV um, kind of really kicks off. And I, I always think about like the Osbournes, the real world, going into like the simple life. Yeah. Where like people really felt it was authentic. The longer reality TV has gone on, more people understand it as produced. So yes. it no longer feels authentic. So then that's where YouTube comes in, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly that was a platform created by users. So that feels more authentic. Right. Ten years go by, people figure out how to they figure out a game YouTube. It doesn't right. feel authentic anymore. Then that's where you get into the next thing, like Vine or Snapchat or whatever. And, you know, that's TikTok today, right? Yeah. We're chasing that authenticity and commercializing it, which makes which it less is, authentic. It's like we're chasing the authenticity, but then we're also naturally, when we're there, we're drawn to the higher produced stuff, the stuff that looks slickest, which is why the money gets in the first place. And then everyone starts producing it and then it's not authentic anymore. Right. And, like, I always think in fiction TV, what we're trying to do is manufacture the feeling of authenticity. Right. Which is, like, like even in this episode, you look at Cheryl, who's, like, performing, mm -hmm. and then you cut to Betty, who's, like, not, and it, Betty feels real because Cheryl's performing. Right. Right? Like, it, it's all sort of, like, a huh. game we can play. Yeah. Some guy, some guy named Troy, who kind of looks like a Troy Bolton type, asks to dance with Betty, and he starts asking if she likes it when guys watch her and offers to take her down by the river. And she slaps him on live TV. That would be a great... They should rerun that episode of the <laughs> Grand Scan. Alice blames Betty for what's happening. Alice is in rare form this week. 
She's all over this episode. Yeah. Betty asks to be let off the show, but instead Alice promises that she'll be on the show, but nobody, nobody will dance with her. So she just has to be So what is the Unhappy. Point? Yeah. Is it like... It's just, just punishment. She's just gonna sway. She, Alice just wants her eyes on this girl at all times. They should just Total give... helicopter They parent. should give Betty a job. Rather than like... I guess dancing is the job for a young lady, yeah, but, but like... They would never pay she, her. If she was a PA or something, you could keep your eyes on her and then she could like move snacks around. Mm. Betty catches up with Archie. Archie's worried he messed up with his, the Kevin plot and Betty says that's next in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheryl does tell them that it's the 50th episode of Grandstand and everybody's invited. Even Archie can dance on TV. And as long as they look nice and everything is peachy. But... Archie and Betty are complaining about how adults control them all the time, and Betty gets a scheme. It's a little hard to really understand what it, what she's really doing, but it does work for her goals. The latest dance craze is the twirl, where girls spin in a circle. That's it. That's they it. Just, That's the whole dance. They spin in a circle. Their skirts go up a little bit and form a little bell. This it, in this period of time, somebody saw somebody else do that for the first time. It was like, whoa. And they started doing it, and everyone started losing their minds. Well, it's also it's that's all, an like, option. It's all fashion too, right? So like at it's this the moment, it's skirts, the right? skirts that are are cut this way like twirl a certain way. Yeah. So uh, Betty gets up and twirls more, more than any other girl is twirling, twirling so much so that her skirt flies up, and we all get to see her underwear. I have never seen. Not only have I never seen a shot like this. I have never seen a shot like this held on for so long. There are so many, like, revolutions of, like, her, like, hot pink panties that we see from this, like, crazy angle. Mm -hmm. And I was just, like, I had a moment where I was, like, I don't know how any actor feels prepared or good about this. Now, that that is my question. Is Is that Lily? Or I, I don't remember if it's one continuous shot or if they cut away. I that could be somebody else. I have to look at it again, but it really did feel like they they did a camera move mm-hmm. in, and and it was Lily. But like it, it's just like there's no good or like flattering way to take a shot like that. So I just feel like it it's just would be very anxiety inducing. Yes. Um, also, and it's just like won. wild to watch like a disembodied like bottom torso and legs just like <laughs> rotate <laughs> under a skirt with like the, no face attached. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. Also, I don't know how I feel about it as a plan. That's just disruption. It's just like my plan was to show my underwear on television so that I wouldn't have to go on television. <sighs> it, it, it works. It seems like there should have been... Like, when she was, like, it was framed as, like, I, there might be a way to fight back. <laughs> and I was, like, showing your underwear is the way to, sh- to fight back? It, it, so, like, there's a, at the end, her mom, you know, screams to the cameras to stop technical difficulties, let's drop the show. With a great cut to commercial. She's, yes. Uh, but she's very, she's very upset with Betty. Uh, everyone stares at Betty at school, but instead of before, she seems happy about it. So she feels empowered. Yeah. By because she's like you also my underwear. Yeah, so she she was feeling ashamed because everybody in school was like Betty's fast. She went all the way with Archie, right? And then she was like, I know how to combat all the problems in my life. I'll show my underwear on TV, right? And then she comes in and everybody's whispering about her. Maybe it's the difference between 
whispering about something that didn't happen and whispering about something you that did happen. So it's like controlling the narrative in that way. Maybe. You know, she did she did get to say, "Oh, if you're going to judge me, it's on the thing that I actually did." Right, right. Oh, that could be it cuz there's been a lot of um people talking right about what happened mm-hmm. and a lot of people spend the episode going like, "Well, I heard this happen, but that isn't what happened." Mm-hmm. And now I've She did all this happens. just so she wouldn't have to dance with Dilton Doily. Who they do cut to at one They do one cut point. to Dilton being sad that nobody will dance with him. I was like, I, I really thought that there would be some sort of incorporation of Dilton. There was not. No, the, multiple times in this season, characters are like, you want to be friends with this other person? And they objectively do, they don't. They don't want to be friends with him or Ethel or... Yeah. They want Clay. They're like, we'll hang out with you. You're cool. Well, listen, they all get their, like, every single character has at one point gotten their hot black significant other so we got to integrate them into the cast like <laughs> every single one every single one yeah every single like one. veronica they, veronica um chuck clayton for a minute oh for yeah for like a minute he that's the the least right. he was gonna he there was a point where he was like i'm cool now and yes. then and then he was me like i just right kidding. A, i'm on black lightning right now. around the time <laughs> they were doing carrie the musical yeah he was like reforming and then right. he was on black lightning and then we never right? saw him again yeah betty had she had one right am i i feel like there was jughead archie dumb fbi guy oh maybe she's the only one who hasn't right because like Archie, I, I She's think she's just been go, so consumed. Like Archie by these had boys. had Josie and Val right. at different points. Right. Jughead has Tabitha. Cheryl has Tony. Uh, now Kevin has Clay. Wow. Like, uh, listen, they're all wonderful actors and they all contribute, but it is a little bit like. Mm-hmm. Mm. When I still think it, back when Arrow first started, every single main character had a black best friend. They just had their own separate one. <laughs> just in every, like, yeah, yeah, every but, CW show? No, or no, no. Every... I mean, specifically the show Arrow. Oh. Oliver Queen had Diggle. Right. Uh, the cop guy had his partner. Right, was of black. course. Uh, uh, yeah, his, the love interest had a girl she worked with. Uh, Mom had her new husband. Mm, mm, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't know. I... I I guess YouTube is like suggesting nostalgia things to me because it suggested a video that was about uh, one of the actors from That's So Raven was talking to one of the actors from Even Stevens about how when they started that show, when they shot the pilot, um, she didn't get the job because Raven was cast as the best friend. And then they looked at this pilot and they were like, oh, clearly she is the most entertaining thing about it and they rejiggered the whole thing to be and her. her and her parents i think were really intense because she had a track record about like they got it named after her they got yes. it like you know she really was centered but it was like yeah even then network executives couldn't look at her and see a lead until they shot something interesting um uh the the ned's declassified trio are doing their podcast mm-hmm. uh and one of the things they said right at the beginning was that there was a pilot that there was recasting that all all three of the mains were up for getting recast and in the end uh cookie was added as the as the third one because they needed a black guy and it was like it could be any of you is going to be replaced with someone more diverse than you that's some it's racist one of the shit. three. That's some racist. But they shot a pilot with three white kids, and we're like, "Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay, wait. We gotta add one, <laughs> but where?" Yeah, I don't know. 
Don't know about that. Mm. Um, anyway, they're great. So <laughs> it's time for a classic Kevin trauma mess around. Did we finish Betty? Yes. Right, because she spins. Right. Oh wait, no, she has to. Did she go in front of the patriarchy? She right. The the man, the patriarchy, kind of corners her at the end, and he's like, "What are we gonna do about you?" And right. it's just kind of an ellipsis. Yeah, and Jughead's one. like, "Now they're focused on Betty." <laughs> but I do like that Betty is like. I think consistently across the whole show, she's pretty defiant. But it's interesting that in the original recipe, she was like, I'm a good girl. And then in this recipe, she's like, I don't want to be a good girl. I want to be a bad girl. I I just think it would be funny if the if the principal, like, quietly became a big fan of Superduck. Like, he's just, like, got issues on his desk. He's just, like, reading it sometimes. That Jughead Jones. So yeah. talented. You know what? We really fixed that. Kid. Super We wholesome. really turned him around. Yeah. Okay, so the classic Kevin trauma mess around starts with most starts like most Kevin stories do. Somebody In the game else. Voice? Sorry. About somebody else. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> uh, Frank now speaks to Archie, like seeing Archie be horny solved every problem he ever had. He's like, We're all good now. You're a man. You're beautiful and I love you. <laughs> Kevin, meanwhile, finds his dad in his room looking over Kevin's uh, bodybuilding magazines, which we can all assume he doesn't only own for the, the bodybuilding aspects. Uh, and Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Keller doesn't like what he's been seeing in his son. Mm-hmm. So all season we've been wondering, where does this guy fall when it comes to relative morality in this time period? And they have made their decision. All the parents are bad. They're all bad. They're now. all bad parents. I was just thinking, we wouldn't have a Frank if Fred... If we still had a Fred, we would not have a Frank at all, right? Yeah. That character wouldn't exist. I'm positive he wouldn't exist. That would have been a nightmare last season to have Fred be possessed by Percival Pickens and be oh, evil and no. doing all those things. It would things. be very sad. Kevin is brought to basketball practice where Frank is happy to announce he's joining the team. Archie asks why Kevin joined the Bulldogs and Frank basically lays it out. He says Kevin needs good role models to straighten him out. Yeah, there, there's no deeper meaning Fine. there. Yeah, no, he he he's he's saying what he means. This is a this is a hard storyline to watch, uh, uh, and it is unfortunate that Kevin is just always in pain when he's centered in these things. Yeah, in like the worst way. I think what's interesting is that the the amount of people that they're playing as like. Like, who noticed something and who are intent on fixing it in some way. Yeah. And even when they talk about Clay, like, he says, like, I've noticed that you're, like, hanging around with Clay. He he says it as if, like, that that guy is funny, too. And I was like, how do you even know? Like, have you, like, how do you, yeah. what do you know about this kid? But it, they kind of, it was, I what I liked, because I think we're getting there, is this moment where, like, Kevin tries to explain it without explaining it. It's like, my dad doesn't like that I like art and poems and music and movies and movie stars. Mm-hmm. And Archie's like, I like all those things. And he's like, yeah, but you're normal, yes. Archie. And what I think... That seems so good. It's such a good scene. But what I, I think is sort of interesting is just this whole... Um, this thing about being... Like it, it's the how, it's not the what. Well, I was going to say about that. being clocked, being yeah. like people knowing 
maybe before you know, before you're ready to know, and people trying to intervene to put you on a different path. Like, right. almost everyone right. in this story thinks that they are trying to help Kevin. Right. Right? Like, in every... Even Archie, yeah. Even Archie. Even, like, Julian is a train wreck, but Julian gives the Twilight Twist information to Kevin. Like, all of them are, in one way or another, like, helping Kevin. But, yeah. like, helping Kevin to be what? Right? Big question. Yeah, uh, Kevin really opens up to Archie when Archie asks to shoot baskets with him over lunch, yeah. and they talk about that stuff. Archie being taking responsibility because Frank was like, "We're gonna, we're gonna, we're help, gonna him. help him," and Archie's, and Archie's like, "Okay, yeah. I'll hang out with him at lunch." Yeah, <laughs> it's just Kevin. Kevin shoots baskets with a lamp at lunch, and it's not great. Not because Archie's bad, just that no. Kevin is just like, I do not want to be Kevin's here. Kevin's living in hell. Did you notice the little moment where they, like, hear a noise and Kevin just, like, leaps up? No. Okay. I really noticed this. So there's this little moment. Like, they're sitting side by side, right? And they're having this sort of, like, soft oh, like conversation. Oh, like, the end of their conversation. Yeah, right? at the end of that yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, like, a noise from somewhere in the gym. And Kevin, like, launches out of the bleachers to throw right. a basket. Because yeah, he can't be seen he, sitting next to another boy like that. Yes. Alone in a room. Yes. And he's, like, hyper aware and... Archie is oblivious. Yes. And he's the solution is pick up a basketball. The real hide yourself in a sport. The real beauty of of this storyline is that Archie is so so oblivious to everything but good-hearted in his intent the yeah. whole way through. He's like what what could it mean to be like what they say off horse or something? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. He just keeps asking people. And I think it sure seems like they're going to set up a situation where people might think Archie is quote unquote funny. Uh, Maybe I think Archie is such a sexy lamp. I'm like not sure who would think he's. It's funny. just like we'll get there. Hold on. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> Julian. Julian congratulates some kid named Rogers for having sex last night. Julian loves it when his teammates have had sex. He loves supporting What's his it? boys like that. And he claims that he has also had sex with Twyla Twist. Now we met Twyla Twist. Twyla Twist led. Was it? Bullies? Was it the Ghoulies? I think she was involved with the Ghoulies, and I think she was originally also involved with the Southside Serpents. Yeah, she's she was the like one, a servant that got kicked out. She's or something. the one who like nearly beat Jughead to death. Yeah, and then Jughead like cut the serpent tattoo off of her arm, and That's we right. never saw that actress That's again. Right. And we have still continued to not see that actress anymore. This is a new actress playing a new Twilight Twist, who is apparently a uh, quote unquote floozy. Who works out of a motel behind the school. Behind the school? Behind the school. Ah. A motel behind the school <laughs> is where a prostitute works <laughs> who almost exclusively uh, uh, works with children. You know, you'd think the patriarchy would have something to say about that. They They're really concerned. I haven't even noticed. Uh, Kevin, he asks, Kevin, are you into that? And Kevin agrees. When and where? Kevin shoots himself into this a little bit he yes. says it before anyone can force him to probably to make himself sound straighter yeah yeah like deepening his voice right yeah yeah so kevin asks archie what he's gonna do and archie archie admits he's a virgin also in a very sweet kj right. way yeah and so kevin kind of about to cry again why does why does he have to prove what archie doesn't Kevin's crying a lot this season. Kevin's really going through it. Yeah. Do you think when he needs to summon tears, he just imagines Riverdale ending and they're like tears of joy? (laughs) 
I guess, yeah, I I would love to talk to Casey to find out if how he feels about the material because, like, he gets a lot of emotional stuff yeah. to do. It's He's just finally always, getting something to do, right? But it's always on the same track. Ever since the time jump, it's it's always been like, oh, your life is actively on fire. Uh, can you play that for us? And yeah, he's it ever he's lost his family and his child, and then was possessed by a demon from yeah. another dimension. Do you think this is before the woods were gay? Maybe he maybe he start maybe he founds the gay he woods. Founds the gay woods. That would be a really nice end to well, his story. He just story. starts planting trees. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin meets with Twyla. It seems like her vibe is. Uh, she really doesn't like to have her time wasted. If you're going to pay her to have sex with you, you better be having sex with her. She's not, you know, she's in it for the sex. Not the money, the sex. Yeah. With 16-year-old boys with 16-year-old who look 30. Boys. Thank God for that. Betty sees Archie at Pomps. We're finally get some alone time together. And he starts asking her about Kevin and let's slip what's happening tonight. And she's like, you have to go now. You have busts to save in. him from sex. She busts in to rescue Kevin, but nothing happened. He's just been crying. And Twyla is laughing at him. Well, I don't know many prostitutes, but this feels out of character. Yeah, it also feels like, I, I don't know in character or out of character, but just like, I would be like, maybe you should leave rather than like stay here and keep right, crying right. so hey, I can laugh champ, at you. That's all right. I already made my money. She asks Archie to stay instead. He's like, no. She just really wants to get laid. But she does clock when Archie calls Kevin his friend. She's like, oh, you're his friend, are you? That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the thing that's that makes me thought. Okay. suspicious. So Archie tells Kevin how Betty sent him after them. And Archie suggests that they just lie. They just say, no, you had sex with her. Well, I, I got stuff from magazines. And my uncle, who's kind of the worst, he's had sex. But when Kevin gets home, the sheriff is waiting for him. That conversation was so sweet with him and Archie. Yes. Because it's like finally the part where Archie understands what's happening. That's what I, I kind of like. Because in the earlier conversation, he didn't he didn't Fair. really get it. He was like, I know that they want him to be more manly. Yeah. But I don't really understand like what that means. And then the second one, it was like, oh. Right. Oh, I get it. I like I caught the implication. I caught the implication about me. And instead of reacting to it, I said like I sat down and I treated this person as a friend and I tried to create a solution for them. And like, it's a solution that you'd come up with as a 16 year old kid or a 17 year old kid. We'll lie about it. We'll create a situation so you don't have to say anything. You don't have to address it, but it's really earnest. And like, that's the thing that's so fun about what KJ's playing with this Archie is like, there's so much earnestness, but it's paired with like a lot of innocence. So it really is, he just so wants to help this person who's like becoming a friend. This is like, this is the Archie we get if he never has sex with his music teacher. (laughs) And that, that alone, this guy got so into sex. Like Virgin Archie, (laughs) Virgin Archie is perfect. And Archie who's had sex is like so driven for that. I also think that it's partly, like, you know, the innocence is a very, like, let's play on the 50s thing. Yeah. But the this is also the Archie we get when he has conversations with his friends. Right. And, and, like, and Archie who sees his mom more often. Yeah. I mean, this whole episode is, like, Archie has a store, full storyline with Kevin. Yeah. Like, what? Incredible. Veronica had a multiple conversations with someone who, like, 
who wasn't her father. And you maybe know, like that's just like who's another teenager, school, right? Putting them in the school gives you ample opportunities for them to be like three girls in the bathroom. They just talk. Well, you would think right? that, except they did that for years and just never did it. Totally. Um, <clears throat> but even like the clay stuff with Veronica, I was like, he she's relating to a peer, like. She, it's, she's interested in movies. He's interested in movies. They want to do different things. Like, he talks about, like, her hiring him. It's huh. it's just nice to be like, ah, teens talking to each other. Or yeah. even just people talking to each other. It's just what I want. Mm-hmm. When Kevin gets home, his dad is waiting for him. And it's a very scary scene uh, where he basically tells his son that he was the one who told Julie to suggest Twyla in the first place. He was like, I knew you wouldn't want to sleep with this prostitute if I... Should I stop saying that word? The sex worker if I I suggest it. But if I tell a fellow teen to suggest it to you, you might go for it. This is the second time this has happened with Julian. Because Penelope Blossom also tells him to get Archie to date Cheryl. Oh my god. So like, (laughs) what is Julian's life? (laughs) Like, what is Julian's life? That would be... I would love to do a one-off that's only from Julian's perspective. You think it'd be like really sad? Yeah, it's like that one episode of It's Always Sunny that's like from the POV of Frank, and then you realize like Frank has like low grade dementia. It's like really upsetting. Sheriff Keller spoke to Twyla as well, so he knows everything. Interesting that the sheriff of the town, like, is is good on good terms with the sex worker enough to like have this whole situation. Yeah. Well, he downs his whiskey and leaves. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what happens yeah. there. The next we hear is Frank telling Archie that Kevin won't be on the basketball team anymore. Do you think they're going to send him to like Sisters of Quiet Mercy? Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like, like a, a conversion. lot of I think we're headed towards conversion therapy. Uh, I think we're headed towards conversion great. therapy, which we did with Cheryl. We did do that with Cheryl. Yeah. Maybe they'll have the same tunnel. Maybe that's maybe Cheryl will rescue Kevin and they just won't kiss this time. Archie asks what Kevin and Clay are doing for lunch. Uh, he and they're like, we're not playing basketball, that's for sure. Get out of here with your sports. Uh, Archie says he wants to break bread with them and talk about music, plays, and movie stars, and he's so perfect. We love him. He's so good. He's just the like sweetest, sexiest lamp you've ever did see. Yeah, yeah. He is the moral arc of the universe. He's the moral arc of the universe, but like, it's like kind of sad that it's happening through ignorance, but like it's happening and it's sweet. So that's the episode. Yeah. That was a fun one. That was actually, was I think, my favorite of the season so far. I I really liked it. I don't know if it was my favorite, um, but I really liked the pace of it. Like the way that they wrote towards act breaks, like the... The, it's it just was really energized. The two commercials, like it had a kind yeah. of fun, like momentum. It had one deep story, like, and then the rest were sort of like shallow stories, but not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes the the deep one stand out more, which right. feels really nice. Okay, so we have some superlatives. Do you have anyone who you think was best dressed in this episode, or any outfits you want to shout out? And One it, of the patriarchy guys has a sweater that appears so loose, it's like he's wearing a cloud. Oh, <laughs> it had like really long fibers. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. very fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, yes. Looks, looked itchy, honestly. It did look a little itchy. I, I was not sold on it. I also was not sold on the outfit Betty wore when she twirled. There was like the hot pink collar to then match the hot pink shoes to match the hot pink underwear. So hot pink. It was, I don't know. Like, it was very coordinated, but I cannot tell you that I liked it. 
Um, Kevin had an excellent jacket. While his life was falling apart around him, Ooh, Kevin Kevin's, had a great jacket. Kevin had a great jacket. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I don't think anybody else, like, particularly stood no. out. I think Cheryl's outfits have all been really good, really though. Good. And, and Cheryl's hair. I think Betty's haircut is super cute. You know, the yeah. little, like, uh, oh, yeah, chin no, length. It's, it's and so... to not do the ponytail now must be mm-hmm. so nice. I think best boy in Riverdale, I mean, it could be best girl, but I, we both know who I'm going to pick right now. It is Archie. He's the best. He's the be- best boy. He's the best boy in, in Riverdale, Riverdale. By far. He did it. Yes. He won. Is there a best girl in Riverdale, too? I, I mean, we could we could pick one out. I mean, I, I would give it to Veronica. She's doing work. Listen, She's of, saving businesses. Of our girls, I think... Betty's plan was questionable. A little nonsensical. And really just served Betty and didn't serve Betty that well. Right. Whereas Veronica's plan, while it involved stealing a hopper and selling it to someone for a movie theater, like at least that's ambitious, creative problem solving. And uh, she now owns a movie theater, which hopefully won't be a casino anytime soon. Cheryl, Cheryl is out here just trying to support her family business. Yeah. But like she also, you know... She got to put on like the manic Cheryl face and be like, Betty, why aren't you dancing? Which is always good. <laughs> that is a good bit. Um, you know what we should also do? We're recording this on Mother's Day. We are doing this. So uh, what? what is the best mom of Riverdale or the worst mom of River? Maybe we should do worst mom of Riverdale on It's like Mother's Mary Day. isn't in this episode, no. which is why she's the best it's mom still of Riverdale. the best mom in Riverdale. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, Veronica's parents are overseas, so they're even further away. So maybe yeah. Hermione, Hermione is the best mom of Riverdale. Hermione's mid-Atlantic accent is the best mom in Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Alice can't win. No. Because her role is always to be Betty's foil, it seems. Well, there's a moment where she's like, Betty, you've broken my heart. By not appearing on this dance show, but really, it's like by by being your my, own person, right? By which by just not doing what I say. Well, and and that was like I think there was a moment in the early seasons where they had almost the same conversation, which was like you broke my heart again by being your own individual person. Yeah. So like Alice has a lot of stuff to work through, just in general. She Madchen, however, seems to be having a really fun time yeah. doing the fifties stuff. Uh, do you, we want to get in the rumor mill. Do you have any theories about what's going Beyond, on? Beyond uh, sending Kevin to conversion, conversion therapy. So I think that that is possible for the future. I also think like because the milkman is not a person we know, I think he has to be connected to someone we know or connected to some larger thing. Right. So what, it, what that means in terms of like is it the patriarchy or is it like, oh no, Percival is back in some way, That's shape, or form? That's kind of where I'm at, too. Because he feels almost like something, like a cartoon character left off of a page, Yeah, right? it really was like, <laughs> this is the choice? It was yeah. fascinating. And and maybe, maybe that's literally what it is, you know? Maybe this guy is tied into the bigger time multiverse thing that they're doing. And it's like... Oh, what if they're just like, oh, random killers are just going to start, or, or, or killer cartoon characters are just going to start becoming real in town. I don't know if I want that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, that is like, this guy doesn't feel real. You know, he does not feel like a human so, in that one shot. He so feels like the judge from, uh, <laughs> from... So your theory is that the 
Pep Comics characters are going to come to life and, and murder us all. Oh, boy. I know that sounds ridiculous but, saying it out loud. But then you remember what show this is, right. and you're like, wait a second, they could that do could it, happen. They, they, I mean, we crossed the line a long time ago. This is where um, the boss at Pep Comics like reaches behind his head and goes, zip, and yes. then like his face falls off and it's Percival. I would love that. I would love that. Um, I don't actually know if I if, if we should ever see Percival again. That oh, does I undo. I found him extremely boring yeah. personally. Like I don't. He really was more want annoying to. than anything. Yeah, but it it is sort of like you you. I mean, it could be the patriarchy. It could be Hal. It could be something else connected right. to the smoke it could be man. Hiram. Yeah, it could be the phone. I mean, that Hiram's already Monica's sister very involved in this parking lot debacle. So who's to say? Miha, Miha, I can't get good parking in town. What am I supposed to do? I don't do? live here, but I need better parking. Um, yeah, those are my rumors. I, I don't think any, you know, my, beyond like Tony will come back next episode because she had this episode off. You're right. She wasn't in this one. Yes. At some point, Tabitha will be in the show again. And I think that might be when the story starts back up again, too. I mean, now that there's, if there's a second, basically if Brad Rayberry's dead, and he agreed to be Jughead's dad this episode. Right. And then he's dead next episode. That pulls more Jughead further into the mystery. Because while he can ignore Ethel, he cannot ignore himself. No. And his new he dad. He really can't. Yes. What else? What am I thinking about? Oh, right. We're, a, we're how many episodes into the season now? Uh, it is 707. Seven episodes into the season. And we still have not talked about the beanie Jughead's yeah. time beanie yeah it's they're like come back what around. is this yeah I think that there there could be a you know Betty becomes an investigator thing Maybe. that could be coming into the future I like think it's interesting that they're not putting Betty near the crime stuff they don't want her doing that this time around yeah I think they're trying to play this as as far as they can go but they're trying to go as straight up at adapting the old stuff yeah there's going to be a turning point, though. So I, it's just which character is it going to turn on? Yeah, and it felt like... It would like... be kind of fun if it was Archie. Like, it would be kind of fun if Archie is the first person who's like, I had a flash of a different life, and I'm trying to work out what to do with it. So the first person I go to is Betty, because she's smart. And then the second person I go to is Jughead, because he likes weird things. Mm-hmm. And then Veronica's there for some reason. Right, and he's <laughs> like, I don't talk to you, right? <laughs> Beth, what are you watching right now? I I mean I'm watching Yellow Jackets, yeah, which I, didn't I think catch the new one. I think uh, the one this week's was not as strong as previous weeks, but it was it's a hard competition. How do you follow up last? It week's? and it ends in a very interesting way. Beyond that, I want to shout out recently canceled, like really canceled on Friday. This uh, show, the company you keep, which I mentioned on which the podcast. I think before. you mentioned. I have friends that were writing on it, and it was like one of those. Network shows that really just was fun. Yeah. It was a good time. It was smarter than it needed to be. It passed great guest actors. Um, I AV was very... Club, AV Club called it the best Sunday night show you're not watching. Yeah. I was very sad to see it go down. Um, but it's... I Mostly what I am watching is news articles about the writer's strike. Um, I am currently on strike. I am walking in circles outside of the my corporate overlords, and we are asking for a fair deal. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like while we're doing this, a lot of they're <clears throat> they're using it as an opportunity to cancel a lot of different kinds of shows and a lot of deals and and a lot of really creative things from hardworking people, and it, it's you know very sad to see. So you know having that news come on top of 
this strike was, you know, a bummer. Yeah. It's not fun. That is unfortunate. Yeah, upfronts are coming up, which is when the networks have to premiere their new slate of fall shows. So by this point, they would normally have a set of pilots that are going to go into production. They'd be able to show a bunch of trailers and be like, here's going to be the showrunners. And instead, we're probably about to head into a very chaotic week of a bunch of slapdash announcements of likely cheaper reality stuff that they can they might not have do up, without writers. They might not all. happen at all. Yeah. Uh, people are talking like this one may last as long as the last one, which was about 100 days, yeah. which is like three months or so. I mean, and that no... was a wild time in TV. Yeah. But like last time, the writers were fighting for, I believe... To be paid for internet content. Yeah, stream, uh, setting minimums and setting a precedent for streaming content and how to get paid for streaming right. content was the last really big strike. And it, you know, the things that we gained made a huge impact because streaming exploded just right. after that. This was like pre Netflix, this was when NBC would have webisodes of The Office mm-hmm. and no one was getting paid for that. Uh, and well, so they get paid, but they wouldn't get paid so like they get paid for a TV. Like they, I thought they weren't you know. paid at all. Okay, but they ended up being very right to strike for that and worked out huge. And now this one seems to be about many more things. It's it is about it's in a lot of ways it's just about um, fair compensation. A lot of these, you know, in the same way that tech companies like to innovate things like. Uber and Lyft, you know, like taxis worked very well for a long time and then they innovated. And now you have an economy of people who, um, you know, don't really make a great wage doing these kinds of jobs because we've innovated our ways out of it. They really innovate in their Um, own favor. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of these streaming companies, what's different about them than traditional uh, TV networks is that they're mostly run by tech companies and they think about... uh, income in different ways and so they are looking for basically any way that they can pay you know people less and it's there's just it has led to um shorter amounts of employment and uh ways of earning less money and lots of people are not as able to support themselves so that's a big thing ai is a big thing again looking ahead um, and how much which that is, could impact which is us. Which pretty wild. Because like it's right already now, impacted the artist community like crazy. Like people yeah. who who went to certain, like design schools, who went to art schools are feeling the effects immediately. Right. It's yeah. it's that it's like, it's it's not. Because the, the art thing and the chat GPT thing, they're both like, what they really are is just they're so good at Googling and just putting things together right. in a way that looks real. Uh, yeah, well, and if you've ever seen that, like, meme of, like, I had a, a AI, like, watch a thousand hours of Riverdale, and then it wrote this Riverdale right. script, right? Well, that means that, you know, it still had to learn from a thousand hours of human-generated writing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, where, you know, how does that affect what you believe in as as creativity and compensation and like if we're feeding it content created by writers so that it can replace them that's a problem and and is it capable of creating narratives that approach the feelings of authenticity that we were talking about earlier i don't believe it is i don't know i mean that's sometimes that's the magic of actors but i mean there's that there's a bunch of other issues you know, it, but it's uh, a lot of things worth striking over, but a strike is a huge, 
it's a huge blow to a lot of different people, not just writers and not yeah. just consumers. And uh, there's a big financial thing hit across like Los Angeles has a ton of jobs in the entertainment this field. It's gonna hit restaurants. It this hits caterers, hit it hits uh, development and special effects houses. Even even um so like supplies, you know, wood and paint and right. stuff like you're building sets. Are, it, it goes really far down the line. So no one wants this to last a hundred days. Right. There are businesses whose whole business model is that they rent stuff out to productions. Absolutely. Walkie talkies, for example, and if there's no productions, that business doesn't make money. Absolutely. So we we want a short strike. We yeah. do not want a long strike because we do not want to impact our friends and our communities. Right. And I want all my shows to yes. come also, back those, on time too. Those stranger than kids are going to be thirty the longer this goes on. Too old. Uh, I I mean they're going to look like Kevin Keller. I could use more Abbott Elementary always all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was taking a while. We got one more season of Cobra Kai to make, and I need that. Desperately so. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. yeah what are you watching, John? What am I watching? I uh, not watching that new season, Cobra Kai. No, I'm not watching. <laughs> it. Oh boy, you're about to be watching that Fast and Furious movie. I am actually deeply excited for Fast X. It was like one of those things where it's like Fast and Furious movies. I think I'm excited for this one because it just it. I'm so tired of Marvel movies. And, and more of the feeling that they are starting to feel like, which is like, I have to go to my appointment. You know, it's like, oh, it's coming out. Let's let's get our group together. We're going to all gonna go see the Marvel movie and talk about it afterwards. And just to be any other franchise right now is like, oh, sick. Jason Momoa is going to try to blow up the Vatican <laughs> while these guys are driving cars around it. Down. <laughs> it, it is like... It, there's such a pleasure in how, how like, dumb these trailers are. Like, in a very specific... It's just, like, every famous person you can imagine driving cars and blowing things and up. And what? Unbelievable. They're, that, like, they just made this, like, low-rent crime movie. And now it's, like, oh, Helen Mirren's in it. Charlize is in it. We got Statham. <laughs> it makes and so Cena. much money. It, yeah, it, like, a truly wild... Only The Rock thinks he's I better than this, about, and he's not. I forgot about Cena. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember how in last movie, like a like a soap opera, they revealed that Dom back. that Dom had a brother the entire time, yep. and that brother is John Looks Cena. Looks nothing like him. Fantastic. <laughs> That's gonna be good. I am excited for that. Even if it's not good, it'll be good. You right. Know what I mean, <laughs> right. It's like people kept t- showing me the news story that Vin announced that he wants to make twelve now, and 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 you know, a part of you is like Vin. You're right there. You did it. Stop. And at another point, you're like, go, man. Keep let him, going. Let him make How, This can only... this he, Ride or die. That's what he says. He's either going to ride or die doing this. Oh, my God. And with all that being said, audience says, you're going to have Caitlin back next week. That's going to be really lovely. Yes. We are going to go have a barbecue with Caitlin's husband and his mom, which will be fun. You're going to celebrate Mother's Day with Caitlin's mother-in-law. It's gonna be Wouldn't great. have it any other way. Over and out, River Vixens.